encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Matthew 22, 1 through 14. And if you will uh, find 1 John chapter 3, we're going to look over at 1 John chapter 3 as we study through this passage together. And then towards the end, we'll look at a few more scriptures together. So I just encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we study this passage together today. And as always, uh, right before we look into the passage more carefully, let's ask for the Lord to graciously help us today. Lord, we love you and praise you. It's, it's been a joy already to be together, to sing praises to your name. Lord, to declare you Lord Almighty to sing of your worth and of your greatness, of your kindness and of your grace, to lift our petitions to you, to lift one another to you, to give thanks to you for a great week of Jerusalem Project and, Lord, uh, still some days of some summer days left to pursue things for your glory school around the corner and there'll be a multitude of opportunities, Lord, for us to share our faith and for us to share the gospel in many, many ways. And in part, that's what this passage is about today, Lord, how the gospel goes out and we are ambassadors of the gospel, your people, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we just ask, Father, as we gather today, as we look to your word, that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to believe and ears to hear, that you would continue, Lord, to fashion us, Lord, and, and recreate us in the image of your Son. We ask of those of us who are in the faith, who are in Christ, and who are gathered together today, would you root us deeply in Christ, Lord, cause us to grow Cause us to love Christ more than life itself. Lord, let us see him as the greatest treasure of the universe as he is. Lord, let us love him and honor him and glorify him in, in all that we are and all that we do. Lord, help us to not be distracted uh, by self and by the things around us and by the people around us. May Christ be first and foremost in our hearts. Help us to prize him, Lord, and to treasure him. We pray, God, for those who may be gathered here this morning who have yet to truly surrender their lives to the Lord. Maybe they've tried to pursue goodness. Uh, maybe they've just not really even thought about it. But for whatever the reason, Lord, this parable is so clear that we can Feast, you have prepared a feast, an eternal bliss of joy and life in the presence of our Maker and Creator and Savior and Lord. And you offer us this feast through the gospel. We can feast. 
we can find what our soul is missing, what we are longing for, what we are searching for and looking for, it is in Christ. And He's here today. He's here in the Word. He's here in the proclamation. He's here in the songs. He's here in spirit. He's here today for all who would come, 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 come to the feast. There is a feast, but there's also a famine, Lord. There are those who will dine and there are those who will perish. And so, Father, we just ask that you would draw us all to a a wonderful saving knowledge of your Son. Transform us today. Make us new. May your grace be evident. We ask all of it in Christ's name. Amen. So another parable Jesus gives, working our way into chapter 22 now. Another parable about a wedding feast. And in Jesus' day, of course, a wedding feast could last for several days. It could go on and on. It was an extended time of celebration and, and joy. And so Jesus utilizes this wedding feast as an analogy for the kingdom of heaven. He says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So just kind of briefly browsing through this parable, the analogies are, are fairly clear for us to see. Those who who honor the king and and love the son, they are delighted to attend the feast. They are overwhelmed at such an invitation and such an opportunity. By the the end of this first section, they they absolutely pack out the, the wedding hall. They love to be there. The feast, of course, being a picture of our salvation The invitation then being the gospel, the offer of salvation. The offer being come, come to the feast. The the feast is prepared, the the meal is ready. Come to eternal life. Come and enjoy the bounty of the king. Come and celebrate the son. And those who come dine with the king and the son and and enjoy the abundant overflow of heaven. And unlike the earthly wedding feast that just lasts for a few days, this feast of the soul that Jesus is picturing for us in a parable, this feast of the soul lasts forever. But there are those who refuse the king's invitation, those who reject the gospel, those who will eventually, apart from the king, apart from the king's table, apart from the son, will perish. And the parable is fairly clear about that as well. Feast or famine. God sets before us an eternal feast of joy in his son. And he bids us to come. And some do. And many don't. We're familiar with wedding invitations in our day. And in recent years, there's kind of a new trend that accompanies the formal invitation that you will receive. 
There's been an increase in, in, in our day of, of busy schedules, and, and so it makes it necessary to issue a save-the-date notice before the official invitation. So we could say that the Old Testament is, is something like a save-the-date. The Old, the Old Testament promise, the, the arrival of the Messiah... The Old Testament promised that that through the Messiah, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The New Testament then being the official invitation, the, the full expression of the gospel. Jesus preached when he began his ministry, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is now. Prepare yourselves, get ready, the feast is coming. Come and enjoy all that God has prepared for us in Christ. God has prepared a a banquet for his son. God means to honor and glorify his son, to exalt his son for all that his son has done to accomplish the salvation of his people. God has prepared a banquet. His son has made all the necessary preparations, all the necessary provisions through his life and death and resurrection. The invitation, the gospel goes out to the the ends of the earth. The wedding is coming. The day is coming. The father, the king, he knows that date. That date is fixed. That date is certain. It is going to arrive soon. It is coming. Last week we asked, what will you do with the son from that parable? This week we asked, what will you do with the gospel? Which is essentially the, the answer of what you do with the son is what you, do with the, what you do with the gospel. By receiving the gospel, you are declaring you receive the son. By rejecting the gospel, you declare you reject the son of God. So will we, will we repent of our sin, repent of going our own way, of trying to save ourselves, of, of fabricating our own idea of God and eternity and life? Will we embrace the Son? Will we surrender our lives to Him forever and ever? Will we feast or will we perish? And that's the nature of today's parable so in the first section here, we, you see there's two sections for the, uh, for the parable. In verses 1 through 10, the first section, we see there's a rejecting and there's a receiving of this invitation. The king sends his, his servants, the, the heralds of the gospel, the heralds of the, of the word of God, to call those who are invited. I believe there he's referring to those In Jesus' day, those who have known the Scriptures, those who have have, from their knowledge of the Scriptures have heard the promises of the Messiah, they've heard the, the gospel of salvation in the Son of God, in the Anointed One, the Promised One. And the invitation goes out, now is the time. But they would not come. They would not believe. They've heard. They are acquainted with the message. They they have an understanding of 
of the invitation of the gospel that's been extended to them, but they just simply refuse. They simply reject. They, they don't want to dine at the king's table. They don't believe he's the king. They don't believe Christ is the son. And so the king in grace and mercy sends other servants to, to compel them. The, the prophets first announced the coming of the Messiah. The apostles in the New Testament announced the arrival of the Messiah. And this is an extended invitation, isn't it? The second time the, the king sends his servants out again, he sends them out with, with more words, with, with an extended plea compelling them to come it's even more detailed than the first he says i've i've prepared everything everything is ready the table is set the oxen and the fat calves have been slaughtered the feast is ready right now come everything is ready you you can't imagine the bounty that I have supplied. The time is now. Today is the day of salvation. You can't fathom what the king has provided, what the son has supplied. You can't even fathom what all is in store for those who are in Christ. Come and, and dine. Come to the feast. Remarkably, remarkably, Tragically, the very next verse, verse 5 says, but they paid no attention. And tragically, the gospel is often met with the same response today, just no attention. What a travesty. The king of all, the creator of the universe, issues a call to come to his banquet to honor his son, to enjoy the blessings of his table, to come and feast. He calls to sinners to come to his son and come to life everlasting. And the unimaginable occurs. The invite to the feast literally of the ages, the celebration of endless joy, is ignored. They paid no attention. As if an invitation from the king, from the eternal king, to dine with him has no meaning. As if the celebration and, and worship of the son has no value, no worth. It's, it's not worth my time. It's not worth my attention. I, I can't stop what I'm doing right now to heed the king's call the king's invitation so they paid no attention and they respond in three ways jesus said there's there's three things that those who paid no attention this is this is what they did they said some went to their farm that is they had other obligations they had a farm so they they were obligated. It, 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 they, they deemed it more important and, and more essential to get that seed in the ground or, or to fertilize it or to harvest it or whatever it might be. They, they had a farm. So they, they, were, they were so caught up in their day-to-day -day duties. They were so caught up in, in their obligations and their busy schedule and, and, and what was required of them and what they had to do Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Wednesday. 
the things of, in, in their lives of, of necessity that they neglected and missed a king's feast. So concerned with, with producing their own bounty, they missed the king's bounty. And sadly, the gospel is rejected today, sometimes for the very same reason. We, we don't think we have time for God today. There's too much I still have to do. There are too many things I still have to accomplish. There are too many goals I still have to reach. There, there are too many obligations upon me on, on this day to do this or to do that. I don't have time for the Lord right now. I don't have time for all the religious stuff and church stuff and, and spiritual stuff now. It's just not a good time. I, I'll get to that later. I, I, I'd have to set my matters aside to accept this invitation. I'd have to stop what I'm doing right now. If, if Jesus uh, uh, comes into my life and, and takes over, it will be too much of a disruption. I've got things I've got to do. I've got things I've got to do. While all the while it never dawns on us that the, the very things we believe require our attention and are so essential will simply not suffice for our salvation. Only the king's invitation. Only the king's feast. Some went to their farm. They had obligations. Some went to their business. They had, they had other things to attend to. They, they were caught up in, in, in making a living, earning and storing up, building up their treasure. They had their business. The gospel is, no, is ignored for the same reasons today, we're, we're too occupied. We're obligated on the one hand and we're occupied on the other hand. We're too occupied with, with our plans. We're too occupied with, with our treasures, with our families, with our events, with all the things that are crowded in our life, with our business. If we give our lives to Jesus, it will interfere with our business. It's all... All of these are distractions of pleasures and pursuits and responsibilities that take priority in our lives and, and in our hearts. Now listen, farms and businesses are not bad things. They're not wrong things in and of themselves unless they become distractions, unless they become idols. You know that good things, good things, even necessary things, can keep us from the best things, from the greatest thing, the king's feast. So these are just those that are just, they're distracted by life. And they've misplaced the temporary for the eternal. But there's another way that some are responding. It's not just that they're kind of distracted with what's going on in their life. And they think that this day is, what they have to do this day is more important than forever. But there, there are some that respond with anger. There are some that respond with, with violence, with, with vitriol towards these servants that are what? Announcing good news. You're invited to the king's table. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine that some went to their farm, some went to their business, and the rest seized the servants? In other words, we want you to stop. We want you to be quiet. 
We don't want to hear about this anymore. They treated them shamefully and even killed them. What a reaction, right? The king wants you to come and dine at his table, celebrate his son. And some respond with anger and violence and even murder to this good news. And we see that even in our day, don't we? Truth is scorned. The gospel is mocked. The church is sidelined. And even in our day, Christians, even in our day, still today, Christians around the world face brutal and violent responses to the gospel. Some of you have felt pressured, even in Cherokee County, right, to be a little quiet with that. When it comes to your faith, let's look at 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil. And his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So going back to Matthew 22, and, you, and we're saying, boy, that's, that's quite a reaction, right? To be offered the gospel and then to be, to offer the gospel and then to be killed for it. First John Three explains why there's sometimes a violent darkness does not like being exposed sin does not like being confronted in any of us and sometimes there's a violent reaction well that's the story of those who reject in verse 7 what happens the king was was angry he sends his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city there's a there's a price to pay there's a price to pay for rejecting the king and his invitation for murdering his servants for rejecting the gospel but that's the story of those who reject. There's another story of those who receive. So the king says, he tells his servants, listen, the, the wedding is ready. We're going to have a feast. Now those we invited, they simply were not worthy. They didn't, they didn't deem a, a king's invitation sufficient. So go to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can. In other words, go to the places where the people are, where people from all over they they are traveling on the road so go to the roads where all you'll meet all kinds of people from all kinds of places and invite every one of them gather all of them find them gather them invite them all he says both bad and good meaning that the gospel is for all types of people 
The gospel goes out to the, the, the moral people and the immoral people, the church and the unchurched. Those you think, oh, he's, he's sure to make it to heaven. Those you think will never make it to heaven. The gospel goes out to all. Come to the king. Come embrace the son. Come and feast forever. Invite them all. Give them all the gospel. And you'll be surprised at how many good people and how many bad people will gladly receive the king's invitation. The good will say, well, I've, I've lived a pretty good life. I've, I've lived a fairly decent life. But I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not right with God. I know I'm not ready for heaven. I know I can't make myself right with God. I need a savior. No matter how good I've been, something is missing. I know I'm not ready. If I died today and stood before the Lord, I'm not ready for the, to stand before the king of all creation. I, I need salvation. Well, here's the gospel. Christ died for your sin and rose again that you might have life and everlasting life in him. The bad will say, sin has made a mess of my life. I thought my own way would bring me happiness, but I was wrong. I'm a mess. I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. I feel unworthy. I don't even know why the king would, would ask me, but if the king is going to extend me an invitation, then I gladly receive because I need a savior. I need a savior. And as the gospel goes out to, to every corner of the globe, multitudes will embrace the savior with gladness. And, and the wedding hall, Jesus says, so, so, the wedding hall was filled with guests. It was packed to capacity. Heaven's not going to have an empty seat. God is going to make sure that heaven is filled to capacity. It was filled. The wedding hall was filled with guests. Even after so many, even after so many had rejected such a gracious and wondrous invitation. But then there's another kind. There's attending without accepting, or we should, we should say trying to attend, attempting to attend without accepting, accepting the invitation, accepting the gospel, accepting Christ. And that's the next section of the parable. So some refuse the gospel because they're just too distracted with life. They're too busy with what they're doing to, to give time and attention to God, to Christ, to the gospel. There will always be something grabbing at our time, always something grabbing at our attention, always something grabbing at our desires. And so they're just too distracted, so they just never seem to get around to embracing the gospel, accepting the invitation. Some are distracted. Some just hate the gospel they just hate the idea that there is a god that there is a god who created them and who sent his son to die for them and and there's only one way to heaven through the son jesus christ they just despise that message so they don't accept the invitation but there's another kind of refusal that looks like an 
an acceptance, but it's actually a refusal. It's attempting to attend without accepting the king's invitation, without truly accepting the gospel. So some refuse the gospel because they are convinced they're going to arrive at heaven by their own means, through their own way, not the king's way, their way. They don't need the garment provided by the Son. They don't need the righteousness of Christ. They've got their own righteousness. They've, they've lived good enough. They've depended on their, their own view of God, their, their own works, their own record of good things. And they're not that bad. I mean, they've, they've never really killed anyone or, or raped anyone. They're, they're in pretty good standing, and they've done so many good things. Well, they, they even come to church on occasion. They can remember when they were baptized. They even gave some money to the church several times. They helped out a little here and there. They, 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 helped, they even helped people they didn't know from time to time. Now, they don't, they don't need to follow Jesus. They don't need to go this way. They've got their own way. They're, they're going to come to the feast. They're going to make it to the feast. They don't have to go by the way of the sun. But there comes a day when those who try to go their own way eventually stand before the king. And the scripture says when the king confronted him, he was speechless. There's nothing that he could say to defend himself. There's nothing that he could say to, to, to prove himself or justify himself. He, he knows he's guilty. He knows he's guilty. He knows then that he can't force God into his mold. He knows then that he can't go his own way, do his own thing. He, he knows then that his righteousness is simply not good enough. That it is actually not righteousness, but his, his own pride and self-righteousness. He knows then that he needed the righteousness of Christ. He, he needed the garment of Christ. He needed the salvation of Christ. But he's speechless because then when we're sitting at the table to dine, it's too late. There is coming a day that it's too late. The time for the feast has come and and he doesn't have the right garment. He doesn't have the provision of Christ. He doesn't have the righteousness of Christ. The Corinthians says, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Christ died to take our sin upon himself that he might place his righteousness upon us that we might enter the wedding hall and feast forever. But these won't feast because their sins have not been atoned for. They haven't come by way of Christ's sacrifice substitutionary atonement for their sin they won't feast the parable is clear 
that they will perish. The only way to come to the feast is through the Son. John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Except through me. So there are some who are refusing because distractions, because they despise the gospel, because they're trying to go their own way. But there has been a multitude who have received the invitation, who have received and they have packed this wedding hall to capacity for joys evermore. And so there's a feast. Lastly, there's a feast for the chosen. Jesus says in verse 14, in explaining this parable, he says, for, so he's giving an explanation, an explanatory sentence now for this parable that he's just given us. For many are called, but few are chosen. So Jesus explains the parable in this way. Many are called. There were many who had received the invitation. The gospel went out to many people. The gospel went out to those who were aware of the invitation. The gospel went out to those who were unaware of the invitation. The gospel went out to these. The gospel went out to the ones on the road. The the gospel went out to, to many people. Many are called. And some received the invitation many times. We see here in the parable, the the servants went out and issued. They would not come. They went out again and issued another invitation. Some some have been issued many invitations, many calls to the gospel. Many are called. Many are called. Many hear the gospel to come to Christ, come to the feast, have your sins forgiven, have life evermore, give your life to Christ, repent of your sin, enjoy eternal life forevermore. Many are called, but not all who hear the gospel accept Christ. And that was the, all of these different, these different categories, the distracted, the ones who despise the gospel, the ones who are going their own way, making their own salvation plans. Not all who hear the gospel accept it, but few do. Many are called, but few are chosen. Few do accept the gospel. Now, that few is in comparison to the many who reject it. But remember, that few is enough to fill up the wedding hall. That few is a multitude without number, but in comparison, many are called but few are chosen. Few, there are a few who do receive, who do accept, and they are called the chosen ones. Now, what does that mean? It means exactly what it says. God has always chosen his people. Back in the Old Testament... We talk of Israel as God's, what people? Chosen. God has always chosen his people. God chose ethnic Israel to be his people, that that is to be the nation through which he would reveal himself to the world, through which the Messiah, the Savior of the world would come. He also chooses his forever people. 
Not a temporary earthly nation like Israel, but an everlasting holy people in Christ. Listen to this statement. God chose his people before time so that we might choose him in time. Many are called, but few are chosen. Let's look at a few verses that, that speak of our faith in Christ, of believers in this way. John chapter 15 and verse 16. I want you to hear three voices from the New Testament. that speak of our salvation in in these terms as us being chosen because it's a precious, precious truth to know that God has chosen you for himself. It guts all of our pride. It nourishes humility in our lives and thankfulness and honor to the Lord and assurance So in John 15, verse 16, listen to what Jesus says. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Now, did the disciples choose Jesus? Yes. (laughs) He called to them and they left everything and they followed him. There, There was a choice there somewhere. There was a decision there somewhere. But what Jesus is saying is fundamentally, ultimately, it was my choice. I'm your savior. Salvation is of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4. So that was Jesus. This is Paul. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he starts listing all these spiritual blessings. Number 1, verse 4, even as he chose us, in him, that's in Christ, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And we're going to get to what all this means. I just want you to hear this. Jesus says it, Paul says it. Look at first Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two verses nine and ten. But you are speaking of believers, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what does all of this mean? I, I want to I I speak to this. When Jesus explains this, this parable this way, there's, there's three categories of people rejecting. There's both bad and good receiving. 
And he explains it this way. Many are called, but few are chosen. So what does this mean for the believer? If you are in Christ today. For the believer, this means absolutely you have to choose Christ. You had to choose Christ to be in Christ. You, you have to repent and believe to be saved. But Jesus preached the gospel. We, I've already mentioned that verse. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. We must believe in Christ. We must embrace him. Surrender to him. Turn from everything else in this life and turn to Christ. But ultimately and fundamentally, our salvation is totally a work of the grace of God. God had it in his mind to save you before he even created the world. Salvation, your salvation is a work of God from eternity past to eternity future. If you are in Christ, it is the work of God. You cannot be lost. He has been saving you forever and he will be saving you forever if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, listen to this. He chose you. He chose you to be his own. Now dine Feast as, First Peter would say, feast as chosen ones, holy people, royal priesthood. You are the kings. Live as king's people in his bounty. What does this mean for the unbeliever? What does this mean if you are here today and, 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 and you've kind of been in one of those three categories? In your life, you've, you've kind of just been too distracted for this church stuff, this Jesus stuff. Or you've kind of, you've kind of been kind of going your own way, doing your own thing, kind of pursuing your own religious moral upstanding. Or you've kind of despised all of this. I really didn't want to be here this morning. But for some reason, hearing that how Jesus explains these things and, and, and that Jesus himself is the son and, and the gospel is here and, and the feast is, is prepared and, and, and everything is ready. And the, and the king is issuing the invitation. What can the, what can the unbeliever do who, who has yet to surrender his life to Christ? The scripture is clear. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Come to him today. Delay no longer. Be distracted no longer. Despise no longer the king and his feast. Come to the feast. Refuse it no longer. Stop dead in your tracks today from going your own way and, and, and trying to establish your own moral record before the Lord. Quit doing your own thing and going your own way. Come to the Son. Turn to the Lord. And if you choose Christ today, you can go home knowing this. He chose you first. He chose you first. Let's pray. 
You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.